I am so excited to be here with you. Is this really loud? It feels loud to me up here. Is it loud? It's good? Okay, good. Okay, good. Okay. Good. I'm very complicated and I gotta have to all my all my little parts here. So what a blessing. I love the music that we're singing. Oh, I'm just standing in the back crying by the box of Kleenex. So blessed. Um, it's really wonderful to be here, and I just want to share with you that this message began in January, and it has been in my heart uh, over these last few months, and I've shared it on the dusty road of my life with so many people as I've been on this journey in these last few months. And, um, you know, Jesus Christ, he met a woman at a well, right, on a dusty road, and he said to her, I know you're lonely, and I know you're thirsty, and here I am. I came today to tell you about the living water because I want you to know that the Father himself is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And here we are today. Jesus Christ has brought us on this dusty road to this place to tell us that the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth, right here, right now, this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you. We just are so excited that you love us. We're so excited to be here together and to be in the presence of each other in this moment and in your presence. And we just ask your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts that today we might worship you in spirit and in truth. I met her on a dusty road, and her name was Sarika. And she had just moved into our neighborhood. We live out in the country. She was renting a space in uh, another neighbor's home. And she's from India, small village in India, Hindu background. But she'd been in the States for a number of years. And as we got to, she told me who she was. Uh, she told me that she was a follower of Jesus Christ. I said, oh, great, I am too. Okay, so end of conversation on our dusty road. Weeks later, I was out walking on my dusty road again, and there was Sarika. She was out walking. And she said to me, Patricia, did you know that there's a group of neighbors in the neighborhood that uh, walk at 6.30 in the mornings um, on these dusty roads? And would you want to join us? And I said, oh, I, I know about the group, the walkers. They're good friends of mine. We're very close, even though we're out, kind of spread out. And I said, but my routine right now, at this point in my life, is in the mornings, I do this and this, and I, I have an early time in the scriptures. Uh, and that's sort of what my pattern is right this, at this time with my work, etc. Oh, well, that's... That's interesting, she said. And then the conversation sort of wandered a little bit, like it does when you're walking a dusty road. Well, something stuck in my mind, and I didn't see her for a couple of weeks. And then when I did, I said, Sarika, has anyone ever shown you how to have a quiet time? I don't know exactly how I asked it. That sounds a little awkward. But do you spend time in the Word in the mornings or at any time? No. You know, I, I don't know that I really know how exactly. She said, um, I said, well, would you like to have a 
maybe have a quiet time together. Oh, yes, I would love to do that. And thus began, right? That was a couple of years ago. Thus began our journey, and Sarika's story began to unfold. It has been the most amazing journey, I think, that I've ever had with another person in the scriptures. Um, She grew up in a small village in India, a Hindu background, and when she was born, the Hindu priest, um, her parents took her to the, the Hindu priest as a baby, and he looked at her and he said, this baby is cursed. This baby has a demon. Well, thus began decades of suffering in Sarika's life. It was ceremonies. It was rituals involving snakes for the next decades of her life until she left her parents' home. It was beatings regularly from the time she was a toddler by her father, trying to beat the demons out. But there was one point that she remembered when she was a little girl, and she was had been sat in front of an idol, a gold statue, and told to worship and given this this ritual to do. And she heard this whisper, can a God really live in that gold statue? And it was just this passing thought. It wasn't a burning bush and it wasn't thunder out of heaven. It was just this whisper in that moment. Can a real God live? in a gold statue. She had an arranged marriage, and she and her husband came to the United States for higher education. And I don't know the details, but four years of higher education, whatever, whatever it was, but she had left one home of oppression and entered into another one. And she's never shared the details with me, but I do know it had to be horrific because when she told her father, he granted her permission for a divorce. So subsequently, she moved to Dallas. She got a job. She stayed here in the United States, obviously. She bought a little home in Dallas, and uh, she got a postcard in the mail, a postcard from a church. And she thought, you know, I'm curious about the gods of this country and about other gods, and and so I think I'll go, and I think I'll see what this god is all about. And of course, as the story unfolded, right, uh, the love and the kindness and the truth began to penetrate her heart. But you know, at that point in her life, God became a god. Jesus became a god in her life, which was right where God wanted her to be at that point. But as she journeyed, she began to realize he wanted to be the God. And so there were lordship decisions. But after 20 years of being in a church, no one ever came alongside her and really helped her kind of put a connection on the scriptures. You know, we can go and listen, and we can put the Bible on a podcast, not podcast, what, on tape? No, I don't know the word. Anyway, listen to it while you're cooking dinner, right? Or driving down the street. Or, um, But she, she would do a devotional, but she didn't really know 
how to get into the scriptures, and no one helped connect her from Genesis to Revelation. And so there was really no foundation. And she could, oh, I've heard this verse, I've heard that. But nothing really seemed to connect. And without that, we'll never understand who God really is. And so we began a journey together on the dusty roads of Jesus Christ. So we went through the Gospel of John that first year, whatever, together. And lights began to come on in a way that I've honestly never, ever seen in a person's life. It was astounding to me. And she would ask the deepest, hardest questions. What God's Spirit was doing in her life was just remarkable. And what he was doing in mine as well. It was fabulous. And so then we moved on and we did a study in in Hebrews. Um, We looked at the the Hall of Faith. I thought this will get her, you know, from, from Genesis and into the Old Testament a little bit. We'll look at that faith and that was wonderful. But still Sarika was, there was a lack of of discipline and focus in her life, but the longing and the hunger beginning to grow and starting to actually read a little bit on her own. And um, and I could see God's Spirit beginning to work. Well, I invited her. What I do uh, with the group of women, I have a small band of disciples that uh, we walk together um, on our dusty roads, and we study the scriptures every year from... Genesis to Revelation. And if you want to know what we do, I would love to, to share that with you. Um, so I finally invited, I told Sarika about what I do with these other women. And uh, I showed her my Bible. I have a journaling Bible and my pens and my notebook and right and took it all out. The next week she came. She had it all. She had gone online. She had purchased all of it. And so in 2020... In 2022, we we sort of started, and it was a little bit shaky, right? Genesis, um, Leviticus, how many of you read Leviticus? A uh, little, little bit shaky, right? I don't know. And so, um, but 2023 came. Uh, meanwhile, I mean, I think we ended somewhere in Jeremiah, um, but she starts sharing with people around the world about Jeremiah, um, you know, on the phone with people. It's crazy. So 2023 came, and I said, she said, I'm ready now, Patricia. I'm ready. Let's study God's Word. I'm ready to get going in Genesis, and I'm going to do it, and we're going to do it. Okay, great. That's great. So um, thus began the dusty road of this year, and we're just plugging along in Genesis. I don't know how many of you, how many of you have ever started in Genesis and died somewhere in some chapter, right? And it's like, what? Okay, but no, we're doing, we're doing fine. We're doing great. Off we go this time. <laughs> and so we get to chapter 22. And we're having a phone call that morning. Sometimes we do two phone calls a week, two or three hours a, a week on the phone before she uh, starts work. And so... Um, Hi, Sarika. What on earth happened in chapter 22? She says, how on earth did Abraham do that? I don't understand. I don't understand where that kind of faith comes from. How could he have that kind of faith? I could never have that kind of faith. Well, 
The chapter, chapter 22, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with it. Abraham wakes up in the middle of the night. And he can't sleep, so he slips out of his tent. And he's sitting out under the stars, and he hears God speak his name, just a whisper. Abraham. Oh, and by now, in chapter 22, Abraham recognizes the voice of God in his heart. Abraham, I want you to go, and I want you I want you to go and worship me. And I want you to go to the area of Mount Moriah. Okay, nothing all that unusual about that. And I want you to take Isaac. Oh, great, father, son, kind of getaway. And we'll build an altar. Nothing unusual about that. This has been his pattern of following, walking in the land, and going to worship God and building altars. But I want you to lay your one and only son on that altar and sacrifice him to me. Whoa. (laughs) Okay, that is unusual. That's not the norm. Your one and only son. I wonder if Abraham slept any more that night. But the next morning, he got up, and he prepared the wood, and he loaded the donkeys, and he told Sarah, hey, we're going to worship God. Just Isaac and I and the servants are going to come and take care of the donkeys, and and then we'll be back. And Okay. But in his heart, he knew how what God had said, even though he might not have understood it, How did Abraham get up the next morning, Sarika said? How could he do that? How did he have that kind of faith? And I could never have that kind of faith. Well, one of my favorite definitions of faith is from the Amplified Bible. And I love the classic Amplified Bible. It's the 1958 um, edition. And... This definition of faith is found, astonishingly, in the Old and the New Testament. But I'll give you one reference, and you can look it up. Colossians 1, chapter 4. But it says that faith is the leaning in of the entire human personality in absolute trust in God's power, God's wisdom, and God's goodness. So Colossians 1, chapter 4. Now what I'm going to ask you to do is if you want to take notes or jot it down, I see some people looking it up on their phone, but listen to the words as I share. I'm going to be sharing some verses and telling you some verses, but listen to those words and let them sink in this morning that faith is the leaning in of my entire human personality. And I like to inject my own words there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, My entire, not part, not the good parts, not the parts that you all are going to get to see, right? It's the entire human personality. 
in absolute trust in three things, God's power, God's wisdom, and God's goodness or love. So some pretty powerful words. How does this kind of faith, how does this kind of faith grow in someone's life? And of course, being the genius that I am, I said to Sarika, well, what, a, what an amazing question. And I think we will find the answer, we will find the building blocks of faith if we go back to the beginning of Abraham's journey. So that morning, we went back to chapter 11 in Genesis. Now, Abraham had a very interesting beginning. It's a very, very tiny family. Um, but before we dive back there, let's go, let's stay in Genesis 22, because I want to talk about that night first. Did he sleep much that night? In the morning, if we go to Genesis chapter 20, and you don't have to go there, but he says, God says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. And so he did. He got up the next morning, like I said, he got the wood, he got the donkey, he got the fire, he got the servants, and off they went. And it wasn't a one-day journey, it was a three-day journey. So think about the time that Abraham had to ponder what he was doing. He didn't really understand what the outcome would be. He might not have understood. This is something God has never, never asked him to do before. This is the child of promise. This is the miracle child. And so he's wondering, what on earth is it that this means? But God has said, I will be with you. I have called you by name. I promise you, I will show you where I want you to go. I want you to worship me. I am leading you right now. And I want you to walk by faith. I want you to lean in on the things that you know about me. And not to lean in on the things that in this moment you don't know. Isn't that an important distinction? How often we are leaning in and trusting the things that are confusing us, that are unknown to us, or uncertain, or fearful, rather than leaning in to the things that we do know about God. And I think that's what Abraham had to do on that journey. And God said, I'm going to show you exactly where to go and exactly what to do. And so they get there. They get to the, the edge of the, the region of Moriah. He can see the mountains. And it says in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And then I love verse 5 because he turns to his servants and he says, you know, settle down here, pitch your tents, rest, take a couple of days off or whatever, and we'll be back. So he sort of comforts his servants. And then he takes the wood and he puts it on Isaac's back, and Isaac carries the wood. Isaac is a young man now, and off they go, father and son. And Abraham carries the fire, and Abraham carries the knife. Now, as they're walking, I'm sure everybody's thinking, Isaac is thinking, 
And Isaac turns to his dad and he says, um, Father, here I am, my son. And Isaac says in verse 7, Now here is the fire and here is the wood. But Father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham tells him all that he knows. He says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. And so the two went on together. And then they came to the place. They came to the place and God said, this is the spot up here on this mountain. You see, God didn't send Abraham on this journey and give him this, this um, message to do it alone. And that's the key, isn't it? When we walk by faith, he never says, just be strong enough, right? No, he says, I'll be right there beside you. I'm going to show you exactly where to go. And so they did. They got right to that place, and God said, this is it. Build the altar right here. And so they do. And they begin to lay out the wood. They, he takes it off of, of Isaac's back. He begins to lay it on the ground and prepare this altar. And then he tells Isaac, this is the place. And in verse 9, he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son. What happened between those two, those two little phrases, right? I mean, okay, we've got a little something here to talk about. <laughs> Isaac, you, this is what God showed me. And maybe he went, he told him, three nights ago, I couldn't sleep. I slipped out of the tent. And under the stars, God called my name. And God told me, that you and I were to journey here to this very place. He said he would walk beside us and be with us and that you are the offering to be presented on this altar. Well, you can only imagine Isaac trying to process, right, this whole thing. And so he listens to his father and now Isaac is having to think about the things he knows about his father, right? He's having to think about the things that he knows about God and the things that they've done together when they've worshipped God together. And so Isaac is processing with his dad. And maybe they talked about God's love. Maybe they talked about his miracle birth. You know, Father and the Son, Isaac, you are my precious gift, the most precious gift on earth that God has given me. And this is what God has asked us to do. And they, they talk together. Maybe they cry together. And then Isaac, he's a young man. He does not have to do this. But he surrenders, doesn't he? And he yields. And he leans in on what he knows about God and about his father. Do you think Isaac was afraid? Would you be? I'd be a little bit afraid. As Abraham, my father, bound me on this altar. And then, as Abraham, my father, stood above me with a knife. A knife that I had seen him plunge into the hearts of animals. Right? How many times before? 
If you were Abraham, would you be a little bit afraid? I, I think I, I would be. But there he stood that day above his one and only son with that knife, leaning in on God. And then, of course, it tells us that he heard God's voice calling him. Maybe this time it wasn't a really soft whisper. I'm thinking God might have called out a little louder, Abraham! <laughs> yes, here I am. And God said, do not lay your hand on this lad. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear and revere me more than your one and only son. You see, on this journey with God, God has blessed Abraham. God has done all these things. God has given him this miracle son. This miracle baby, he was 99 years old, right? And now I know, though, that you love the giver more than you love the gift. Even more than the greatest gift of all. So back to Sarika's question, how did Abraham have this kind of faith? So back we go to chapter 11, and this tiny little family. And I, I just put this map out for you to see where they started. So they started way over on the right in Ur. And it's this tiny family. It's, it's his father, Abraham's father, Terah, and he's got two other brothers. There's no mention of mom, so it's a father and three sons, and they're in Ur. And Terah hears this voice inside, and he says, I want you to move. Now, it doesn't say anything about Terah's spiritual life. It doesn't mention God in those early chapters at all. But he heard a whisper in his voice. Now, Abraham agrees to go. Uh, one of Abraham's brothers dies and leaves behind a grandson, Lot, a yeah, grandson of Terah. And then the other brother says, I don't want to go. I want to stay in Ur. So now we're down to father, son, and a grandson. And off they go. And they travel up the river, which is what you would do. You would travel up the Euphrates, and they go north, and then they go, they stop in Haran. Um, and so it's here that they stop and they live. Now, who was God in their lives at that point? Well, in this time, you didn't have churches and you know, temples and you, you, people lived in rural areas, and, but people were very spiritual. And so people had household gods. You would have, everybody is looking, right, for something greater. We look at the stars, there's something greater out there, there's something bigger than me. And so to have a sense of a creator or a divine and all the things I can't control, the rain and the circumstances of this earth, and um, to believe that someone is in control. And so every family would have a God. And it, that's where a, a household altar or, um, would be. And so you would worship that God. And as your family grew, a community of worship would grow. 
And oftentimes we see it in the book of Judges that, that one of your sons would actually become a priest. You would actually have, have kind of a religion that you would develop that would be centered in your home. And so at this point, Tara hears this whisper in his heart. And he knows, he recognizes that it's something bigger. It's something greater. And later on in Genesis, God would tell Abraham, it was my voice that your father heard and followed me. And so they go up to Haran, and then Abraham's father dies. Abraham is married to Sarah. He has Lot. And this is the family. And so after Terah passes away in Haran, then Abraham now is the spiritual leader of the family. And now Abraham hears clearly that whisper, that voice in his own heart. And he knows that it's his God. You know, so far, this move up here has been great. And good things have happened. And now I hear this voice in my heart back in Genesis chapter 12. And God says to Abraham now, as the spiritual leader of the family, go, and I want you to go south. And so we see his journey going south on this map. And God says in 12 verse 1, I want you to leave this place, and I want to make you a great nation. I want to even make you famous. I've got land. He says, there is a beautiful land. There is space. There's space for families, and there's space to grow. And so I want you to go south, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to give you family. I'm going to give you blessings and food. And so Abraham hears this whisper inside, and he says, I want to do that. I want to follow that leading that is in my heart. And so off they go. And they travel down to the middle of what we would, would call Israel at this time. And he says, I'm not only going to bless you, but I'm going to bless others around you. And then through you, I'm going to make you famous and bless the nations. Well, who doesn't want... Okay, in this, if there's anybody here who doesn't want... I mean, you might not want land, but family relationships, good things to happen. You want a job. You want an education. Um, you want someone higher than you, right, to, to, to have a sense of safety and being, being taken care of, that someone else, someone greater is in control. And so Abraham says, that sounds great. Let's go. Let's leave this city and let's go. And so that is exactly what they do. So who is God in Abraham's life at this point? God says, I was the voice in your father's heart, and I am the voice in your heart. And Abraham knows that it is the divine. Well, things are going great, but then there's a famine. And so we get into, that happens um, in Right, not right, right away, but over time. And Abraham hears that there is food and water in a place called Egypt, and he has never been to Egypt before. This is a foreign land. But he has heard the stories. And there are very powerful and very violent people in this, 
in this land of Egypt. And he's a stranger, and he's still not very big. But off they go to find food and water. And he's very frightened. And it's justifiably so. Because these people don't know my God. They have many gods in the land of Egypt. And they have many different laws and lawlessness. And I've heard that powerful people, if they see something that you have and they want your stuff, they just take it. And if you're small and you don't have a way to defend yourself, they'll just kill you and take whatever it is that you have that they want. And sure enough, they're not very, they're very long. When Pharaoh sees Sarah and says, I want her. So Abraham has come up with this plan to say that this is my sister, not my wife, to try to save his life. And Pharaoh says, I, I want her. And Abraham's, okay. Well, God speaks to Pharaoh, and he says, I, you have made a big mistake. And he strikes Pharaoh's family, and he terrifies Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wakes up the next morning, and he takes Sarah back to Abraham, and he says, what have you done to me? And all of this is from the voice of God in Pharaoh's heart. And Abraham is looking at this thinking, wait a minute. You mean my God speaks to people who don't know him? And he speaks with power, and he scares them to death, and then they wake up the next morning and obey him? Wait a minute. Who is God in my life? Leaning in that my God has power. And that my God speaks not only to me, but he speaks to other people. Now the interesting thing here is that Abraham doesn't really get it, does he? If you know the story, he will do this same strategy again, and Isaac will do the same strategy later in his life and lie about his wife when he's afraid. You know, have you ever heard the voice of God, seen and learned, and you just didn't quite get it the first time? And that's okay. That's okay. It is a journey of learning how to trust this God and how to lean in. And sometimes it takes, it takes more than once. So God is powerful. God speaks. And Pharaoh says, go back to where you came from, <laughs> and gives him lots of gifts, and Abraham leaves Egypt as a very wealthy man. Well, they go back to the land, and they're prospering in the land. And Lot is prospering. Lot's married, and they've got this livestock now, and the two families become too big to stay together. They become two, two separate families. And so there's conflict, and Abraham says, Lot, I love you. And he says, God has brought us to this land. God has made these promises. Lot's been there when they've built altars, when they've worshipped God. And so Abraham says, just look out from this hillside and go whatever direction you want to go. And with this generous, beautiful heart, Abraham sends Lot. Lot picks this beautiful valley that is rich to take his family and his livestock and his servants. And off they go. And then the next day, or whenever, in the next days, God speaks to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, 
this land, look, look at the stars, look out on this land, and look at all that I have for you. And this generous, loving heart of God, you know, it protects Abraham from feeling afraid, from feeling greed or any kind of selfishness. And God says, go walk it. Go east, go west, go north, go south, go walk it. And so he does. And then they move and they find another beautiful grove of oaks and they settle down and life is good. And God is good. Who is God in my life? Well, he's one that I can trust. I can trust his wisdom and I can trust his goodness. Well, now there's danger and there's war in in the land. And that's just the way this land is. And you've got armies, you've got these wild kings, and they're, they're racing up and down the land and attacking one another. And you've got these kings from the north and the kings from the south, and they're fighting each other. And Lot gets caught up. Lot gets caught up in this battle. And so he gets taken captive, and he gets carried all the way up from Sodom, which is just south of the Dead Sea, and all the way back up towards Syria. Well, by this time, Abraham has trained a little kind of home security force. He's got about 300 men because just kind of what you need. Um, And so um, they go by night, he and his his soldiers, and they go up towards Syria and they rescue Lot. And in addition, they rescue some of the some of the soldiers from Sodom. And so they bring them back. They bring them back toward the center of the land, down from the north. And then they're they're there camping. They're tending to everybody's wounds and feeding them. And um, along comes this entourage of men. And Abraham looks up and he sees these men approaching him. And this is, if you want to know where I am, I'm in chapter 14. And so, Abraham sees this man, Melchizedek. Have you heard that name before? He is a little bit of a mystery. And there's some great information about him, but still very mysterious in the book of Hebrews. But here comes this man, Melchizedek. He is a king. He is a priest, and he's from the area that they called Salem at that time, which would eventually become the area of Jerusalem. And Melchizedek comes with greetings for Abraham, and he is an ambassador. He's got a message from God. And he says to Abraham, your God is my God. Wow, nobody's ever said that to me before, (laughs) right? We don't have any record of Abraham meeting somebody who knew God. And he says, your God is my God too. And I've got something else to share with you. It is God who loves you. He has chosen you, and he has blessed you specifically. How do you know? Because God told me. Because God whispered that in my heart. I know. Something else I want to tell you, Abraham, is that our God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Wow. 
Now, I knew that he spoke to my dad, and I knew that he's, I've heard his voice, and I saw him speak to Pharaoh, but he's the possessor, and he, he's promised this land of heaven and earth. And Melchizedek, this great man, says, yes, he is the possessor of heaven and earth, and he alone is to be worshipped. And he has given you this victory in battle. This, this victory you just had and how you rescued Lot, God has given you this victory. Our God, your God, my God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And he wants you to know that he is all you need. Well, they have the sweetest night of fellowship together. And that night, Melchizedek and Abraham, has he ever had this kind of fellowship with someone before? And that night, the two of them worship God together, and they have the bread and the wine. Is it the first Lord's Supper on the earth? They break the bread and they drink the wine together, and they have this sweet fellowship. Jesus Christ, from beginning to end, right? The Alpha and the Omega. Who is God in my life? Abraham lifts up his hands to God. And he says, I know God is all I need. Oh, this gospel message, right? The good news that Melchizedek brings. And I have faith in his power. See, faith leaning in on the power of God, learning this journey of learning how to trust the power of God against all the circumstances of life, against all the enemies that I will encounter in life. Well, it's not long after this that God speaks in a very different way to Abraham in chapter 15, a very powerful way. And God says to him, Abraham, fear not. Well, I don't know how many people have you ever walked up to that just out of the blue, I just said, hey, fear not, right? Unless you know someone is afraid, right? That's just not what we do. I don't walk up to you and say, hey, don't be afraid. Um, that's what God did. Because he knew the heart, right? He's looking into the heart of Abraham, and he knows at this point that Abraham is experiencing fear. And so Abraham, the beautiful thing about it, Abraham says, I'm going to bless you now. I am your shield right now. And in the future, I will be your reward. And Abraham is so honest with him and so vulnerable. And he says, but... But God, I've got a few questions. I'm a little bit confused. And yeah, I am a little bit afraid because, first of all, I don't have a son. I'm childless. And so I don't really understand how this works and who I would give anything to. And God begins to speak to Abraham. He reveals. He gives him such a gentle answer. 
He says, I will give you a son. I promise you. And Abraham believes him. And then God begins to explain the past. I'm the one who led your father Terra from Ur and the future. And I'm going to lead your descendants in the future. And in the present, I have a plan and I have a purpose for you. Who is God at this point? God, that night, they have these sacrifices and God appears with fire and power. And everyone in the family sees it. It's not something that's small and hidden. That night, God meets Abraham in a very, very powerful way. And there's no doubt. And he confirms this covenant with him. God is the one that I can lean in on and I can trust his wisdom and his words. God is the one. So then we get into chapter 16 through 18 and these building blocks of faith continue. And these chapters are pretty messy and there's a lot of confusion in the family. And there are a lot of things that happen here. And Sarah, she knows about this heir and she's wondering, you know, how are we going to accomplish this? And so here we go, leaning in with my entire human personality, right? <laughs> and the human personality gets a little bit in the way. And they come up with a plan to have an heir and to have a son. And so there is a little bit of conflict here. Um, the human personality begins to spin. Has that ever happened in anybody's life besides mine? human personality begins to spin and I begin to come up with ideas and I make decisions and sometimes I might make a few mistakes and things happen and, um, and there can be pain that results from that. And that's what happens in the family of Abraham. But God intervenes and God speaks and God corrects and God shows mercy and grace not only to Abraham and Sarah but also to this young Egyptian slave. And she's the one. Who is God in this family? And I feel like she's the one who says it best in this, in this situation. God speaks to her and she says, you are the one who sees. And you are the one who loves me. And Hagar leans in on the God of Abraham and trust him, and surrenders, and yields, and obey. Boy, who is God? He's the one who is always at work on my behalf, no matter how I mess it up, no matter what it is that happens. God is able to bring this beauty. God is able to bring grace, and able to bring salvation. Trust in God's goodness, trust in God's wisdom, continues to grow. Well, later, everybody is um, confused about this, and God actually comes and speaks. Ishmael is born, the son that is not the son of promise, and God comes and speaks directly to Sarah and to Abraham. No, this is not the child of promise. The child is coming. Well, in that same chapter, God also speaks about what he's getting ready to do in Sodom. And this is pretty earth-shaking. 
And this is pretty hard. When you think about sin and you think about judgment and you think about punishment for sin and the cost, the price that must be paid for sin, does that ever confuse you? Do you ever wonder about that and how hard that is? I think it's just our human nature. And so God explains that there is this incredible evil in Sodom and that he has come to go there personally and to judge this place, that judgment has to come. And Abraham starts asking questions, doesn't he? Because he doesn't understand. Well, now I'm trying to sort out who you are, the God of justice and God of righteousness and a God of mercy. And he's, he's leaning in on what he knows, but he's, he's, there are things he doesn't know about God. And when we read that story, we see this honest conversation with God about the things that are hard and the things I don't understand. And it's so important for us to have those kinds of conversations with God on our journey. And so God says, yes, I will be gracious. Yes, I will be merciful. And in the end, Abraham finally, well, what if there's just 10, right? And God says, yes, I will save. And then in the end, whether Abraham ever really understood it on earth, what happened in Sodom, there were only four. And God saved them. You see, I can lean in hard on the wisdom and the love of God. Jesus Christ said, God's command is salvation. It is his heart. God told Ezekiel, all souls are mine, and I have no pleasure in the death of any man. And I have to lean in hard when there are things I don't understand that are hard. And maybe sometimes in my life there are questions that are never answered. I trust God. I lean in on what I do know about God. Then Isaac is born. And this is the child of promise, right? Isaac, the miracle, the joy. I mean, it's just unbelievable in this family. Here he is. And what a blessing. And God is the God of miracles. He's the God over my body. He's the God in charge. There is no co coincidence. There is no, there is no limit. God without bounds, even over the human body. God is not limited by time or space. And I can lean hard, lean in hard on God because he is the one and his wisdom, the, the wisdom of his timing to give them this gift of Isaac in a miraculous way that they might learn how to absolutely trust God and lean in. God is the one. And then this night in chapter 22, and he slips out of his tent and God speaks. And Abraham doesn't know what's going to happen exactly on Mount Moriah. Abraham has never heard this kind of command before. But he gets up that next morning and he obeys. 
and he goes to Mount Moriah. What has Abraham experienced? The God who sees, the God who hears, the God who whispers in my heart, and sometimes the God who shows up with fire, the God who sends someone to share about faith, to have the Lord suffer with me, to confirm that he is the possessor of heaven and earth, to teach me. He is the God of miracles without limits. He is the God who is greater than all my enemies. He is the one who is all I need. And when Abraham lifts up that knife in faith to obey God, I can't fathom that there isn't fear in his heart. And yet, he has come to a place of trust in the power, the wisdom, and the love of God. And then he hears the voice, and then he looks up, and what else would there be but the lamb, right? And there is the lamb, the alpha and the omega, right there in that moment and on that mountain. This is the altar. This is where God will provide. At this place, of course, the lamb would be there just when he needed him. The building blocks of faith in the life of Abraham. He didn't wake up in chapter 22 and just go and do it. God, on this journey, on this dusty road, right? Right there beside him. Well, I just want to share with you a few building blocks of faith in my own life. When I began this life on earth at conception, just like we all did, it's a little bit sketchy, just saying, a little bit uncertain. I was someone's worst, worst news. Your teenage daughter is pregnant. Well, 65 years ago, that wasn't really great news. Might not be good news today, <laughs> whatever. And so this is how my journey on earth began. But God had his eye on that child. And so they, she, my mother, gave me life, and I was uh, adopted. I was adopted into a home of darkness. I was adopted by two very wonderful people. They had been married 10 years. Uh, I was the second child that they adopted. And they uh, did not know God, did not follow God. Both of them had come out of the deep south. They had both been very wounded by the church, by religion. Uh, neither one of them really wanted um, anything to do with God. There's not a Bible in the home. We did not go to church. Uh, but I knew, as I grew up, as I was a little girl, I watched the pain that existed in my family. You're aware, you're aware of it, right? When, even when you're small, right? You see the suffering, you see the conflict. And I remember that whisper in my voice, in my heart. God is the answer for your family. 
God is the hope for your parents. Just like Sarika looked at that gold statue and she heard that whisper, and it was God's voice, though she didn't know it, that a real God could not live in that gold statue. Just like Tara heard that voice to move and to follow, and Abraham heard that voice. At that point, God leading and moving in your heart. I know you've heard his whisper in your heart, even if you didn't, didn't know exactly what it was. But you know it now. And so that began my journey, that voice. Well, as we grew, um, my brother, who's old, older than I was, uh, we got up toward, he was going into his senior year of high school, and uh, I was going into high school. Um, boy, did he get on the wrong track, and his life just went wild and crazy. And I just remember at that point thinking, God is what my brother needs. God is the answer. And I began to pray for him. And lo and behold, that summer before his senior year, someone shared Christ with him. And Bob's life was completely transformed and changed. And I knew, right? I knew uh, that God had heard my prayers, that God was at work. Well, that summer, Bill Bright invited about, I don't know, 100,000 people or so to come to Dallas for a big conference. <laughs> and so we went. Bob, wanted to go. Bob got connected, and so the two of us went. And I went. And that night, do you all know Bill Wright? Anybody? Or, yeah. <laughs> Founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's not. Crew. Crew. And so I sat on the floor of the Cotton Bowl with thousands, tens of thousands of other people. And he just shared basically the gospel. God loves you. Has a wonderful plan for your life. And that night, I knew. I had never really heard this before and put it all together. And I invited Jesus Christ into my life to forgive me. But I also asked him something else. I asked him to come into my life and I asked him to change me. Because deep inside, I was so tired of my human personality. Have you ever felt tired of your human personality? I said, I want to change. And so I asked him to change me. And that summer, before school, well, I got connected with a Bible study. I got a Bible. I began to read my Bible. One of the first chapters, as we were going into the fall, that I read was 1 Corinthians 13 about love and about the love of God and what love looks like. And I knew that I had never heard those things before, and that that kind of love did not exist in me. And I began to memorize 1 Corinthians 13. Nobody told me to, but I knew I needed those words inside of me. I needed to be changed deep inside, and that those words could have power in my heart and in my mind. And that began a pattern in my life 50 years ago of memorizing scripture. I don't know if you hide God's word in your heart, but if you don't, it is the most powerful thing that you can do with God's word. 
And God's word began to change me. And today, I continue to memorize God's word. And it has been a powerful building block of faith in my life. Well, I want to flash forward from that point, that beginning of my journey with Christ. Dan and I were married after college. We moved to Southern California, right in this area, and were ministering at UC Irvine with the Navigators. And then about six years later, we had Abigail, our firstborn. Now, Abigail was born, she was actually born up in Davis. We moved to Davis. Anyway, it's a long story. So, um, Abigail was born with a congenitally dislocated hip. And so what that means, right, is that you've got the socket, you've got the hip, and it's not in. It's here. And it wasn't discovered at birth. And so we finally found it when she was about 17 months old. She's walking. I mean, this little one has a fat lip all the time. She is falling over everything. And, um, and finally, we take her to the doctor and say, you know, what's going on? And sure enough, two places in the country where this can be treated. And he says, Dallas uh, is one of them, Scottish Rite Children's Hospital. And so that's where we went because my parents lived there. And so... We went on. We packed up, moved to Dallas. Dan was working for my family. Um, Abigail goes into Scottish Rite. The doctor says, this is the problem. This is what we'll do. Two weeks of traction, pull that down, and then we'll do a body cast, six weeks, to push that into the socket, and we'll just see if it will work. She's on the borderline age-wise for this to work and actually be successful. So that's what we did. So here's my little 18-month-old daughter, right? Traction, body cast, six weeks later. I mean, she's completely immobilized. And they take the cast off, and they say, they take an x-ray, it's working. Second body cast. Six more weeks. We would go through three body casts. Well, in that second body cast... Abigail slipped into this depression. It was so clear. I mean, she's just this little thing, right? But you could see it. You can see it happening. We know the symptoms. And so I sat one morning before the Lord in my quiet time, and I said, Lord, I just wept. Here's my little child. My heart was so broken. In this depression... And I just cried out to the Lord, do you understand how painful this is? Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, whenever um, I've, been, I've pictured myself at the cross, I don't know where you see yourself. And of course, we're coming up on Easter, right? And you're sort of in that, that mode, and people are preaching about it, and you're envisioning yourself right at the cross. I don't know if you do that, but I would envision myself. And where was I always at the cross um, in my Christian life? I was always at the foot of the cross. I was always in front of the cross there. And maybe you picture yourself standing at the foot of the cross or laying at the foot of the cross. Or maybe you're over with the disciples and the others as Jesus was in those final hours watching 
But this time, God spoke in my heart that whisper, right? Not a burning bush, not a th thunder. I understand, Patricia. And suddenly, I was standing beside the Father at the cross, watching his son suffer and feeling the pain of the Father in a whole new way in my life that I had never experienced it. I had imagined it, but I had never experienced just a taste, right? Just a small taste of what it was like to watch your precious child suffering. And suddenly the building block of faith, the humanity of Jesus Christ, meant more to me than it had ever in my life. That he became a man. That the Father and the Son entered into this dusty road, this pain and this heartache of this earth, so that he could be there with me in that moment and understand what it was like. That I could understand, that he could understand my pain and that I would be able to lean in on him with trust in his power and his wisdom and his love for me. Well, flash forward, third child, Annie. She's a freshman in college. She's on a Christian campus. She's brutally raped and almost murdered. Building blocks of faith. There might be people in this room who have experienced that or who have walked alongside someone who has experienced that. It was the end of February, and I will never forget the darkness that fell across our lives. How will I ever understand all of that? I won't. That's 2013, 10 years ago. The crushing pain And there were times when I would lay on the floor and I could not, I couldn't breathe. And all I could say was, Jesus, hold on to me. Because I can't hold on. And Hebrews 13.5, Jesus says, I will not, I will not, I will not relax my own. And in those times when you can't hold on, if you will just lean that way. It's interesting. There's a verse in Leviticus where God says, I'm leaning toward you too. Isn't that crazy? Leviticus. And there God met me. That Easter came, and I was not at the foot of the cross, and I was not standing with the disciples, and I was not standing beside the Father, I was on the cross. I have never felt the kind of pain that we experience 
And it is still an ongoing journey of healing in Annie's life and in our family. Building blocks of faith, leaning in on God's love for me. I do not understand it all. I have unanswered questions. Do you? Can you trust God with the things that you may never understand on earth? You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we know in part, now we see in a mirror dimly, there are just things that I will not fully understand. And yet, I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in on what I do know. I'm leaning in on what I do understand. Well, 2013 was not an easy year. Annie finished up school that semester. That's a long story. She came home in June. Our oldest daughter, Abigail, and the body cast did work. And it's wonderful. Is expecting her first child. And she's down in Texas. And so Annie can't wait. She loves, she and Abigail, they love each other. I want to go be with Abigail before the baby's born. And I want to be there when the baby's born. And so we decide that um, on June 11th, that Dan is going to fly off, as he does, to Florida for a business meeting. And that Annie and I are going to pack up the car and head to Texas to be with Abigail. But Abigail says, well, I really don't want you to get here until the next day because I've got this, this, and this. Okay, well, Annie says, I'm not waiting till the 12th. I'm leaving that day, and we'll just drive. We never do this. We'll just drive to wherever, spend the night, and we'll be with Abigail for lunch. Okay. So that Tuesday morning, we got up, and Dan left about 6 a.m. I spent some time in the Word. I finished up getting the house ready for two weeks or whatever it was going to be for us to be gone. And um, we were going to leave at 9 a.m. So Annie's sleeping, of course. And I thought, you know, it's 7.30. Uh, I think I'm going to go and take Lucy for a walk. Now, Lucy is our Bernese Mountain Dog. I don't know if any of you have ever had a Bernese Mountain Dog, but if you ever can, please do. They are the sweetest dogs on earth. And so... I said, well, I'm going to take Lucy. I'm going to take Lucy for another walk. So I go out on my dusty road, right? Lucy and I. And as I'm going out the back door, I grab a stack of verse cards, because I always do. Take them, stick them in my pocket, and I always review my verses as I'm walking on my dusty roads. And it was the most beautiful morning in Colorado ever in the universe, right? It's sunshine, it's cool, it's just glorious, it's quiet, it's just me and Lucy and my verses. And I start going through my verses, and every verse, it's really interesting, the things that were standing out to me were things like, don't be afraid, the promise that I'll be with you, the promise that I'll take care of you. And so I'm just reading and meditating and just having this wonderful time. And I, we have about a two-mile loop, and I come up and over. And then as I come down, you look out at Pikes Peak 
across this valley of gorgeous yellow flowers, this meadow, and I always say the same verse, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains and to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But then I heard this voice inside that said to me, Will I ever be back to this place? And I felt this moment of dread and fear. And then I heard the next voice that said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, the glory of the, the view and whatever Lucy was probably doing, and it was all gone. And so I got home, finished up everything I needed to do, packing up the car, Annie got up, and off we went at 9 a.m. on this beautiful, beautiful Tuesday morning. Well, at 3.30 that afternoon, I got a call from a friend. Patricia, do you know the forest is on fire? Actually, no. I'm crossing the state line of Texas. They've closed all the roads into the forest. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon. I got on the phone. I called Paul, my neighbor across the street. He saw my number. He picked up the phone. Patricia, I cannot talk to you right now, but I promise you, that I will not leave Lucy behind. See, Paul always took care of all of our dogs whenever we travel. What he didn't know is that the fire was burning in my backyard just across the street. And that by 4.30 that afternoon, my home would be engulfed in flames. And Paul and Terry and Lucy and all of our neighbors escaped with their lives because they hadn't even been evacuated yet. The fire was moving so fast. And as soon as I hung up with Paul, I knew in my heart that my house was gone. God had just prepared me somehow that morning. Well, we got to Texas We did not know what had actually happened. The fire came through. We were almost at the epicenter of it. It was just a few, started by a man uh, just a few miles away. Developed its own weather pattern, came roaring through, and then it, it went south. It burned for days and days, but it moved the fire south. So the next morning, the Denver Post sent a helicopter out to take pictures of the center of the fire. And when we saw those pictures, we knew. We knew on Wednesday morning. We could see landmarks, and we could see our property, and that it was nothing but, it was, you couldn't see anything. It was ashes and bricks, a few bricks and metal burned to the ground. That's what a forest fire does. You didn't just have a fire and the fire department came and put it out. 
No. It burns absolutely everything to the ground. Well, Thursday morning, I woke up early. I'm at my daughter's home. She hasn't had her baby yet. I went out in the darkness and sat at the table and began to talk with God. What, how do you even wrap your mind around this? It's a catastrophic life event. You have no way of even comprehending what's really just happened to you. Everything you own on earth, everything, is just gone. And I began to talk with God, and God began to whisper in my heart. And on this morning, I was not at the cross, at the foot of the cross, or by the Father at the cross, or hanging on the cross. On this morning, I stood before the throne. And the Holy Spirit inside, the whisper inside said, in this moment, it is the closest that you will ever be on earth, on this dusty road, to what it will feel like when you stand before my throne one day. Your hands will be empty. You will have nothing. All you will have is what you hold in your heart. And Patricia, that is enough. That's all you will need. Building blocks of faith. Leaning in on God's power. God's wisdom, God's goodness and love for me. I don't have to have anything in my hands. All I need is what I hold in my heart. Well, where am I today? Do I stand before you as a person who has absolute trust in God's wisdom, God's power, God's wisdom, God's goodness? Oh, no. (laughs) I'm just a fellow traveler with you on this dusty road of life. I'm just like Sarika. I'm encountering things and I'm facing things and I'm crying out. How do you have faith like that? How can faith grow? How My faith is growing. I stand before you as someone who is so growing in faith, who is leaning in harder now than ever in a whole new way. In 2021, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I want to tell you that this last, I'm about a year and a half on this journey of chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and now post all of that treatment, I just want to tell you, my God, my God, is so perfect in faithfulness. You know, when Jesus said to that thirsty woman at the well, he said, I have come to give you this living water inside. I am seeking people who would worship in spirit and in truth. And that has been the beauty of this journey in this last year and a half. God's faithfulness in my life has completely overwhelmed me. 
as I have learned to lean in in a whole new way. Am I absolutely there? Absolutely not. Am I on this beautiful journey, leaning in to what I know about God? Not leaning in on the things I don't understand or the questions, but growing, growing in faith every single day. Let's pray. Father, I just rejoice with you. I just rejoice. And as I look out on these faces, I know that you are rejoicing in every single one of us. And I just thank you for your love in our lives, wherever we are, whoever you are in our lives right now, the building blocks of faith that we have seen, the things you're building now, and the things that you will build in the future. What a privilege. What a privilege to walk this dusty road with you. Cover us with your love. Cover us with your spirit. Thank you for bringing us here on this journey of learning how to lean in on you. And we love you. And I love you more now than I've ever loved you before. And I'm so grateful. I can hardly hold in the joy of knowing you. Bless this day. Bless us as we move forward and as we share together more about our lives. And we love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you. Amen.